Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is toga time. So it's 55 AD. It's a sunny afternoon in Corinth. Maybe you're in the market today shopping for the finest of silks and spices that have just arrived. You have lots to do with chores and all, and the in-laws are coming over for a meal. But there is talk of this letter from a man named Paul, who has some pretty strong and even shocking words. So how do they fall in the ears of those first century Corinthians? We're continuing our study with Dr. Peter Kapsner. So welcome to Toga Time. Peter, how are you? No, good, Bill. That was, uh, again, quite the setup. I mean, I, I've had a chance uh, to be in that part of the world before, and they pretty much are going to be uh, walking around buying silks and spices and spending their day. <laughs> so I feel like I'm right in that city of Corinth right now. Yeah. So we got togas on. Well, you know, not literally, <laughs> but figuratively we have togas on because we're placing ourselves in Corinth in AD 55, and we're trying to understand how these words would fall um, on our ears. So here we are. And when I look at the text that we're dealing with today, it is an awesome text. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it is. Uh, We're going to see this back and forth contrast between the foolishness of God, as Paul is going to describe it, uh, at least sounding as foolish to the world, and how it's going to ultimately bring down or subvert or shame the wisdom of this world. And so I I think maybe one way to frame what we're all going to see today is this idea uh, of an upside down kingdom, meaning that Jesus has a kingdom. He he said that he would be bringing about this kingdom into the midst of this world. It doesn't have the usual boundaries. It doesn't have the usual um, ways in which people walk around with, with within state lines or, or country lines, but it's a kingdom nonetheless. And just like any other kingdom, it has its rules of engagement. It has its ways of life. And those ways of life are really different than the ways of life, certainly in the city of Corinth, in terms of what they valued as being wise compared to what was being foolish. Uh, They are really unlike one another, the kingdom in Corinth. And and truly, I think we're going to see that it's pretty much the same today in a lot of ways in terms of the wisdom we value versus the utter foolishness of the cross in terms of what God was up to there. Yeah, that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 118, we could spend the whole hour on. We could. And if you don't mind, can I read that verse? Please. Do, do I have your permission? <laughs> well, yeah, I'll go get into my toga while you read it, and we'll be ready to go. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So I'm in the marketplace, 55 AD. I'm hearing these words. Is my head about to explode? Yeah, it, it certainly is. Um, again, the, the Corinthian people, they really loved their charismatic, visible, philosophical kinds of leaders. I mean, they, they really liked to attach themselves to people who, when they talked in the public square, 
They talked with a lot of eloquence. They talked with persuasive words. They, um, again, probably looked the part on a lot of ways. And, and so you, they were almost intoxicating to be around, not much different than maybe a movie star today or people that know political figures. There's so many political figures that just have this weird gift of um, when they're in the room, sort of all the energy of the room spins towards them. And, yeah. uh, and, and people really get drawn into all of that. And so they, their heads probably would have exploded because they would have said, wait a second here. Um, Jesus is described as somebody who was not much to look at. He was a lamb led to slaughter. We'll talk more about that later in this episode. And this cross thing is, um, it, it was an, it was a total failure. So you're telling me right now that, um, the cross, we see it as foolish, but for those who are being saved, they see it or, or maybe even better yet, they experience it in a very different kind of way. So it would have been very confrontative in this moment. So how are they identifying people who are perishing? Yeah. How, that, we, how, how do we recognize that group of people? Yeah. In the this word situation, the word perish there. And, and you might, and, and our listeners might know another place, a very, uh, well known place in the scripture where the word perish shows up. So just one quick aside in terms of uh, helping to understand how to get more deeply into the Bible, you you do what's called you let the Bible interpret the Bible. So you you look for the different places throughout the biblical text where where words show up again and again to help understand what might be in that word. And so John 3.16, one of the most famous verses of all time, or at least well-known verses, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, so whoever believes will not perish. And there's that word again. And the interesting thing about this word perish, both in John 3.16 and in Romans or in First Corinthians 1.18, is it's something that's going on in the present. I mean, when I hear the word uh, perish, I think, oh, that's going to be my future destiny. Um, and, and it relates to some absence uh, of God in the afterlife, that being hell. And in this particular case, though, perishing is happening in the present. And the best way to maybe understand it is that you are serving or walking on pathways that really have no hope and no future. They will fail in the end. They will blow away like the chaff. They don't really have um, any any meaningful substance to them. And so for let, let's put some examples on this. Um, for somebody maybe who has served an organization, a business or, or, or a university, um, or any other organization, you can serve that organization for 40, 50, 60 years of your life and give your life to that institution. But at the end of the day, that institution is a perishing institution. It will fail. Um, you, you'll have given your life to something that doesn't have any internal significance to it. And so when we serve the idolatry of this world, when we are people who are pursuing money or relationships or um, amusing ourselves, um, thinking that luxury or trips or whatever it might be, that that's really the, this beautiful way of life. All of those ways of life are perishing, and the people who serve those ways of life for a lifetime are part of the perishing. They don't have any future because there's only one eternal kingdom. So the people who aren't perishing are the ones who have said, you know what, instead of following all these things in this world and giving my life to them, I'm going to follow one person, and that's going to be Jesus because he's the only one that's eternal. So mm-hmm. um, so that's that's probably a pretty good definition of perishing. But, Bill, we experience this kind of stuff in the present, I think. Perishing has with it sort of this, this darkness and this fear and this turmoil and anxiety, um, lack of hope, uh, games of pretend, all of that. Um, you, your whole physical self really begins, and your spiritual self begins to die off as you pursue these perishing things in this world. And so I think that's why Paul says it's in the present tense. 
who you are becoming is actually happening happening now. And so when I'm serving idolatry of this world, I'm actually tasting a bit of that permanent future perishing absence in the present. And, and it's, a, it's a pretty sobering thing to think that way. Yeah, Peter, I'm going to ask you to repeat that because I think what you said is so profound just now that uh, Paul was basically saying how you're living right now is uh, how you are going to turn out. What I can't remember exactly what you said, but I need to hear it again. Yeah, Rosie will to, probably have to play I back the tape. Talk slower too. Yeah. <laughs> so Rosie will probably have to play back the tape on that one. But uh, yeah, it's oh, I, there's different ways to think about See, it's it. It's already gone out of your head. Yeah, it, it has. It. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, okay, that's fine. I have a quote from C.S. Lewis that might be helpful as another way of of saying it. Um, okay. C.S. Lewis says that all day long we are walking on pathways of life or walking on pathways of death. Perfect. And uh, and as we walk on these pathways of death um, or these perishing pathways, we actually are becoming, unfortunately, uglier and uglier from the inside out. And and I know an example of somebody who was an atheist his entire life. And, you know, Bill, as I, as I know, knew him over all these years, he, it just he got smaller and his countenance got harder to to, to be with and and his soul. Um, it just had a sense of almost darkness around it. And he had been walking on this pathway of death his, his whole life that was perishing. And C.S. Lewis says that if you were to run into that person on the other side, they would be a creature of which you would only probably greet in the worst of your nightmares. Um, right. And so that's a bit of the perishing. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I've well, experienced that perishing life in my life when I've given myself over to the idols of this world. Oh, boy. Well said. Well, I think I'd like to give a C.S. Lewis quote as well, if you don't mind. No, please. You don't. You don't get to hog all the C.S. Well, Lewis you know, quotes. you sound a lot smarter as soon as you invoke the name of C.S. Lewis, right? That's why of I, do I do it. Of course, that's the only reason course. I do it too. For yeah. Sure. But Lewis said, "What isn't eternal is eternally out of date." Mm. Yeah, so that's a really good that, way to you know, say it. Giving yourself, you know, over to a company for fifty years only to, you know, just get your gold watch and leave, and that's it. It's perishing. Yeah, it, that is such a good way to say it. And I think the exciting thing is, and I know we're, we're going to head off to a break in just a minute, but um, being saved, because again, Paul uses the language being saved here uh, in, in a similar sort of way. And so there's a flip side to this whole journey um, that is the exact opposite of walking on the pathways of death, and that is walking on the pathways of life. And that's what it means to be in this place of being saved. And, and for those people... The cross is, um, it is this upside down, beautiful wisdom that God has brought into the world. So I know we're going to talk about that in just a bit. Mm -hmm. If you don't recognize this voice, uh, you may not be listening uh, to the station for very long. The voice is Dr. Peter Kapsner. He's my guest as we are in toga time. And toga time takes us into Corinth in AD uh, 55. And we're trying to understand Paul's letter, how it would sound to the people in that uh, time. So we're excited to be continuing this series. It's fascinating. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're looking at verses 18 to 25 today. 18 to 25. So get your Bibles open, grab a notebook, and we'll take a short break and be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com.
Welcome back to the show. It's toga time. I'm so glad you're joining us today. Whether you're wearing a toga or not today, you are so welcome. Always glad to have Dr. Peter Kapsner as our teacher at this hour. We're continuing our series. And in toga time, we're placing you in Corinth in 8055, and we're just trying to figure out Paul's letter, how it would sound to us. And right now, Peter, we're still in First um, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. We're getting to the good part of that verse. Where yeah. It says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Yeah, boy, that is uh, right there, I think, is the heart of the good news of the gospel when he, when he has that verse, because we just got done describing a bit of what life is like when you're walking in these pathways that are perishing and, and how this is a, a present reality. And and I think before we can even talk further about what it means uh, being saved that he's describing this passage, we have to keep in mind that for those who are perishing, like everybody in this world, um, there there's a sickness and there's a disease in this world, and, and it's the de- de- disease of sin and death. And to understand sin as a, as an active power that's going on in this world, like the, the Bible writers would have, because sometimes I think of sin as just something I do and then God gets mad and then I ask for forgiveness and then I sort of go on my way. But, um, but sin in the Bible is actually sort of this active, vicious power that is actually coming after God's beautiful image bearers and seeking to destroy them in all the ways that you and I were describing uh, on the, in that first segment, and that, and so when you're trapped by that disease, when you're when you're trapped by that power of sin, and it's doing its work on you, and you're participating in it as well. You're not just this sort of passive victim, although all of us are are born into the shadows of it. We still participate in it. It just gets uglier and uglier and uglier. This this is what Jesus meant when he said that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Or when Cain is, uh, after he kills his brother Abel, uh, God says, be very careful for sin is crouching at your door, Cain, and it's desirous to master you. It just is viciously coming for you all the time. And and I think wow. to have that sort of sober-eyed view of the world and understand that the darkness going on in this world is an active power, it kind of snaps me awake that, oh boy, maybe maybe this daily life matters in terms of who we are and what we're up to, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that is that's very it's powerful thought really because I think you know we're, we're always under we understand that we're born into this world because of the fall with a sin condition so we check the box that says sin condition but we don't understand the enslaving power of sin and how menacing it is yeah it it really is and and, and I think you can kind of see how it works a little bit if you just sort of step back and just think about um, maybe when I have been trapped or if somebody listening has been trapped in a, in a pattern of sin and how it gets worse and worse and worse. Usually when you tell a lie for the first time, your heart sort of, mm, I shouldn't have done that. Um, but it's pretty amazing how quickly you can get used to becoming a person who regularly deceives. And that's what it means when the Bible talks about your heart getting hard is that as the disease starts working its way through you, it begins to just kill off the heart. It's sort of like a person's liver when they have cirrhosis, it scars over and it, and it becomes unhealable at that point. And, and you could keep drinking alcohol or keep um, participating in whatever's causing that cirrhosis, but it scars over and it becomes hard and not functional and not usable. And, and if you see a picture of a liver that has been scarred that way, it really gets uglier and uglier. And that's how sin works. It's never satisfied. It's always bringing cirrhosis. It's always bringing a spiritual cancer. It's going to get worse and worse and worse, which is why C.S. Lewis talked about uh, the creatures on the other side. It's just, it's going to be horrific at the end of the day. And so when, when you get sobered by 
what sin does as an active power, I think you begin to say, oh, my gosh, uh, who will save me from this? Yeah. Th- this is no this kidding. is Paul's language, right? In Romans 7, he says, who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? It becomes a crying out at the end of the day, but it starts with being sobered by our sin. Yeah. All right, let's move on to verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Right, and so that's the, that, that connects right to this idea of, of what it means to be saved. Um, and, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the foolishness of the cross in the second half of this hour and, and why it's so foolish that God in just utter free gift love laid himself down and became obedient or subject to death, willing to go in those waters. And, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But um, but the good news that he's going to bring into the world as he is destroying the wisdom of the wise, uh, that's going to be accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection event, is that um, Paul says we're, we're being saved. And so for you and me and everybody else that has a, a, that sort of spiritual cirrhosis, cirrhosis of the liver uh, or cancer of the heart, um, I, you, you and I and, and Jeff Redorn and Tom Parrish sometimes on, on the Thursday show of Guy Talk will talk about salvation as past, present, and future. And, and Paul's very clear here. He's using a present version of it. You're being saved. And so just like there is a power at work in this world of sin that's coming after us, there's also another power at work in this world called, that the Bible talks about the resurrection power. And, and it's the power that was brought into this world when Jesus burst out of that grave and, uh, and, and defeated the power of sin and death. That very power is also available to us in this world. And, and the only way that we can begin to operate or experience in it is to say yes to following Jesus. I give my life to you. I put my faith in you, Jesus, not in ideas about you, not in traditions about you, not in organizations that have your name attached to them. I put my faith in you. You are the only one who has conquered the power of sin and death. And this is why Jesus says, that's a good thing because I'm the great physician. Uh, and so he is able to bring a different power at work that begins to restore or re-energize the heart. I mean, Bill, we are talking about your, your liver can become dead or your heart can become dead. Um, this is what it means to come back to life. This is what it means that you are dead in your sin, but he has brought you back to life. And that, that happens in this life, Bill, um, not in part, so on, 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 or not in full, but in part. This is why C.S. Lewis says on the flip side that if you're walking the pathways of life and the resurrection power of Jesus is active in your life, it's saving you from the power of sin and death. And C.S. Lewis would say, that for those people that walk out that kind of life and aren't in the pathways of perishing, when you see them on the other side, they would be a creature of such beauty, you'd be strongly tempted to worship them. And and I remember, I know I've told this story, uh, I think on your show before, but I remember when my mentor um, passed away, one of my, my maybe three or four mentors, she was around 89 years old, I want to say, when she passed away. And Hallie and I went to visit her. My wife Hallie and I uh, went to visit her in her last few days. Um, she was in hospice care at this point in time. Um, she was never a very tall woman to begin with. She was about maybe five feet tall. But at this point, osteoporosis has just so broken her down that she just, there was really almost nothing left of the physical body. There were, there were the tubes and machines and monitors um, hooked up. And 
Uh, it, it was, I think we were a little concerned going in because we wanted to have this memory of her, of this vibrant woman, right? And this person with just incredible twinkle in her eyes. And even as she aged and her eyesight left, we would go to her house and we were terrified that she would even be cooking for us because we didn't know if she could even see the stove anymore. But, but she did and she brought us cookies and she would, she would just insist that no, we would sit. And she just it was this woman of such beauty and delight. And so we were worried in those last couple of days as we went into that room. And Bill, uh, it takes my breath away to this day. I'll never forget walking in. You could almost feel the beauty and the light and the wonder of her inner person that had been being renewed day by day, to use the language of, of the Bible. Um, her inner person had been renewed in such a way that that light and beauty, you could almost feel it shimmering in the room, waiting to escape and leave this perishable husk behind. It, w- it was breathtaking and, and awesome. And so when the, when the saving power of God, this resurrection power comes into our lives, it, it's a it's a full resurrection power that will be bodily someday for all of us. But it also restores our hearts for which we're meant. And and you and I and Rosie and all of our listeners as we have all come from the hand of God, we are meant to live in the unencumbered life of love and joy and peace and patience. We don't try to do those things um, out of moral duty or obligation. Um, God pours those things increasingly into our life. And so we become people who laugh easily, who cry easily, who can stand in the face of, of danger with courage, who would give up our lives for other people, who could maybe even stand in a coliseum with Roman gladiators ready to cut us down and and bear witness to the now incoming kingdom by singing songs of worship, because that's what they did in that first Roman coliseum. As they were being cut down, they had an otherworldly kind of joy and peace and courage that only came through the power of salvation that's available in this world. So... For those of us that think that salvation is really only about getting into heaven when we die, Paul is not talking about that at all in this passage. He's saying you are being saved right now. The resurrection power is available to you right now. Stop putting your faith in ideas about Jesus or institutions about Jesus and learn what it means to follow the good shepherd because he will bring this salvation power into your life to do battle against the power of sin and death. It is so unbelievably powerful. And and for anybody who feels impotent in their faith and don't, doesn't know where to turn, this is where we turn. This is where the power is available to actually become a person uh, of joy and love and peace increasingly in our lives. Wow, Peter, you killed me with that story. No, it, it, that, it, it slays me talking. to this day. Yeah. I'm glad you kept talking because that was really hard because you talk about this beautiful, vibrant woman. At the end of life, yeah, and she was Bill, I, I yeah. re- and, and and but again, like nothing to look at, and, and I already see the wrinkles around my eyes, right? Yeah. And and I know my knee doesn't work quite the right way, and and Rosie is nodding way too vigorously right now in studio about the wrinkles around my eyes, but like we're, we we are failing, and yet there's this beautiful hope of of how we we can increase in beauty, and Bill. Those people are so compelling when you're in the room with them. I mean, they, they no just kidding. bear witness, right, to the now incoming no kingdom. And if I'm an image yeah. bearer in that room, I'm all in at that point. I'll oh, be yeah. like, I want yeah. what you have. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think I got to blow my nose. Um, <laughs> Super fair. <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't have said that on radio, but I do need to take a break. You're listening to Toga Time with Dr. Peter Kapsner. We are continuing our study of First Corinthians, and we'll be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. It is Toga time, and we are with Dr. Peter Kapschner, and we're going through 1 Corinthians, and it's a fantastic study. And we are in uh, chapter 1, verse 20. Should we move on, Peter, to, to verse 20? Yeah. Where is a wise person? Exactly. Where and I think we can go, yeah, keep going yeah. from there. So, yep. Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He has, and, and Paul's going to carry on, and, and I know we only have a, a half a segment um, or half an hour left for the, for these segments, but he'll carry on from there and just talk about then this difference between the foolishness of God, uh, and we could probably put some air quotes around that, and the wisdom of this world. And and this is all of what we were describing before the break, just about um, this this sickness that's in our hearts of the beautiful image bearers that have been captured by this power of sin and, and are being increasingly disfigured and destroyed by it. And then there's this incredible good news of the gospel that the great physician came and he said, I've come that you would have life or this way of life uh, and you would have it overflowing uh, in you, this joy and love and peace. And so the question becomes is how did he do that? Like how do, how does this actually work? And, and when we step back and just sort of reflect on that cross tomb event on that Friday through Sunday uh, morning we we see the the foolishness of God operating in a way that the wisdom of this world could never make sense of. And and the reason why it sounds foolish is that the wisdom of this world, and even back in the city of Corinth at that time, is that you are seeking to exalt yourself and you're seeking to exalt your own power and your own authority. Um when when Paul is talking about where is the wise person, where is the teacher of the law, where is the philosopher of this age, he's referencing people that would have been of considerable earthly stature in that time. They would have been the same people of today, that when their names roll off our tongues, we know immediately who we're talking about, whether it be Elon Musk uh, or Timothy Keller or Bill Clinton or famous public people who have considerable stature, and from that stature, they wield an awful lot of power. And, and, and groups of people look at such people as being wise people or people who you would say, gosh, if I could just be like them and, and emulate their way of life, that would be amazing. I want all of that power and all of that authority. Uh, well, Jesus came and did something entirely different. And, and the great irony here is that we are talking about the word being made flesh and dwelling among us. Um, and so the one through whom all creation has come. I mean, th- if you want to see power, <laughs> there's no question that the divine son of God, the word becoming flesh, this is where real power is operating. And if he wanted to step up and just sort of blow up the philosophers of this age or the teachers of the law or the wise uh, people, he could have done that. And, and he actually did some of that uh, in his earthly ministry and his teaching because he was so concerned about how these these people of stature were actually further enslaving and 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 putting other people in bondage. But so he could have kept doing that. But then he did the ultimate sort of bait and switch, and this is where the foolishness of the whole thing doesn't make any sense um, to the to the wisdom of this world that teaches go get your own, um, raise your own brand and your stature and all of that. Uh, Jesus went uh, and and Philippians two says that he became obedient to death. Uh, even to death on the cross. And so um, he veiled himself. And the scripture talks about that he was willing to become like a lamb being led to slaughter. 
if you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia, um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that describes the death of the great cat Aslan, who is the Jesus figure in that book, does such an incredible job of um, describe again, now we're back to C.S. Lewis, where he does such an incredible job of describing this cat who is obviously filled with all kinds of power, and the cat decides to let his power go. And, and Jesus says, okay, um, I am going to let my power go, and I'm actually going to subject myself to all of the horrors of this power of sin and death. I'm going to draw it all to me right now. This is what it means that he bore our sins on the cross, is that he was busy bringing the power of sin all into one place. And when I start thinking about that, Bill, it, it, I can hardly breathe um, with that because when you think about what the power of sin does in this world, from the horrors that we shouldn't even really speak about, um, you know, the abuses and, and the rapes and the, and the taking of life and, and the unfaithfulness and all of the pain that we have all experienced as a result of the power of sin in this world and, and participating in it, Jesus said, um, all of that horror, we're going to bring to one spot. Um, and, and I'm going to become uh, obedient to death. I'm actually going to give up my divinity in such a way. This is what it means that he emptied himself so that I can become subject to all of the sin and death, uh, that is in this world. But here's what it doesn't know. And we talked a little bit about this two weeks ago in Toga time is that sin didn't know, uh, it, it thought it was destroying the son of God, the one who threatened it. It thought it could destroy but Jesus yeah. dragged it down into the grave with him. And he came out the other side and left it all there, thus conquering the power of sin and death. The only way he could conquer the power of sin and death was to become enslaved to it and become obedient to it um, so that it would take his life. But he knew then he could come out the other side and beat it. And in so doing, that brought this other power in the world. And here's where the foolishness is in all of this, Bill, is the question is, is why? Why, why, would, why would God do such a thing? And I think, you know, many of us are, who are familiar with the cross story, we tend to think maybe first and foremost that God needed to have his, um, his, his justice resolved, his sense of justice. There was sin in this world, and, and God being a just God needed to find some kind of punishment for sin. He needed to have his justice resolved. But the problem with that, uh, Bill, in, in that point of view, there's, there's a couple main problems at that point of view. One is that if God had something in him that had to be resolved before he could act, so let's see if we can follow this, and I'll use another example in a second. But but if God had something resolved in him that, that had to be resolved before he could act, it would mean that God was actually subject to that thing. Okay? So I had a Faith Radio listener. Uh, they found me um, by email, and I loved it. Sent me a question not too long ago that said, you know, Kapsner, can you can you describe the why of God? Why does God exist? And I said, well, I mean, theologians will puzzle over that question, but there can't be a why for God to exist because then that why is somehow bigger than God. And we have to serve the why instead of God, because if God is subject to the why, then whatever that why is, is bigger. If God is subject to having to have his justice, his, his justice sort of taken care of before he can act in love, then that justice is somehow bigger than God. The other thing that we can note about that is that um, there's nothing foolish about our sense of justice. If there's been a crime perpetrated against us, I mean, think about it. We, we see some of these courtroom dramas, right? And, and the perpetrator of, of the evil upon another person, when justice is served, we think that's right. That's the way this should be. There's nothing that would be foolish about that. We would be thinking, well, of course God should be operating that way out of the sense of justice. Well, that, there, there, neither of those things are at play. 
um, if we just let the Bible be the Bible and even let that, that very famous verse we all know in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. And, and let's, let's just for a second not condition his love with a sense of justice. Let's just let it be love. Let's let it be the utter and complete and total free gift that it is. Um, let, let's let it be by grace you will be saved. Let's let it be um, that God didn't have to resolve anything in himself before he could act, that we didn't do anything to deserve him coming, that God out of sheer and total love of heaven just decided to come and take on all of that brutality of sin. Um, I think one of the reasons why we feel like we need to lean into justice or some other version of this is that it's so hard to accept just the utter and free and total lavishing gift of love. Because if we do, it, it, it totally breaks us, Bill, at the end of the day. Um, it, if, if God is just simply moving on our behalf in these ways, um, it's utterly foolish. If you're a teacher of the law in the city of Corinth, it's foolish to completely let go of absolutely everything without any condition, without any restriction, without any worry about your own sense of glory, without any worry about what it means for you, if that means that another person can be made whole. And who would ever do that? That That is so silly. I spend most of my life trying to exalt my own sense of self or try to find stuff for me. How would I possibly ever just give it up for free for another person with no condition whatsoever? And now we're talking about the free gift and, again, the lavishing love of God um, that moved. It is so absurd. And uh, and I don't know about you, Bill, but when I think about that foolishness of God, quote unquote, um, it, it, uh, and knowing that I was the one who had the sickness and I was even the one who brought the sickness upon myself and by no merit in me and no need to resolve anything in God because God is, he's not insecure, he's complete, um, then he could just operate in pure love to rescue his imagers. Uh, now we're at the heart of the good news and, and mm-hmm. what happened here in these moments. Well, Dr. Peter Kapsner is my guest. We are in toga time uh, and we are going through 1 Corinthians and Peter, that description of of all sin and evil being drawn to one place uh, for the the ultimate bait and switch was a pretty powerful image. It is, I, I think. Um, yeah, I just and then and then it, like all of what I've done to people, Bill, and now I can't hardly talk about this stuff without crying because all all of the ills that I've oh, perpetrated no, no, upon no, no. other people, there's right? Only, no, you only you're going to cry. There's only one crier <laughs> today. Okay, well, that's me. I'll try to I'm work it to... out. And I'm trying to figure out if my voice is recovered from the cry session I had during the break. It sounds it sounds good. I mean, Rosie, it sounds good and good to both of us right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I had a fairly significant breakdown there during the last break, oh. and that again, that beautiful image of the 89 year old uh, woman. I, I guess I saw I saw my mom in that, and I just thought here she was, uh, you know, this little frail person uh, getting ready to leave this world, and and all of a sudden, I just. I just, I got, I got hit. Yeah. That happens. That happens. All right. It, it does happen indeed. And, and I think, you know, for me, it happens when I think about, again, the ways in which maybe I haven't been a great father to my kids at times when I just simply wasn't present. It was, I mean, it wasn't anything, it didn't seem terribly egregious to me to maybe not look up from my computer when my kids came in with their eyes dancing about some magic trick that they just learned and they couldn't wait to show it to me, right? And I'm, But I'm too busy. I've got other things to do. So give them half of it. 
Bill, that is, that is a life of perishing. That is not the way the imagers are meant to be. And and the little mm-hmm. the little seed of sadness that I planted in the heart of my son or daughter in those moments, it it, it is it um it takes again it takes my breath away. And so when I think about that out of the, uh, abs- uh, just absurd free gift, I did not have to pay the ultimate price for all of that in some way that it would continue to disfigure me. Jesus came and said, "You know what? I'll even take that." And Maybe one more quote. I know we've uh, we got to head off again for a break, but um, there's a German theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, who uh, he was doing his work prior to becoming a theologian during the time of World War II, and he fully bought in, from what I understand in the story, about what Nazi Germany was doing until he was taken as a prisoner of war and brought to a British prison camp, and his eyes sort of um, were awakened to the horrors of Nazi Germany. And he began to reflect a bit on what he had participated in. And I can't even imagine being in that prison cell coming to life with the amount of sin and death that you had a hand in perpetrating uh, on people. And he came out the other side with these words and he said, you know what? The cross um, is both uh, for the oppressor and for the oppressed in order to open up a free humankind uh, based in love. Uh, Something along those lines, right? Just the free gift where even the oppressors and the oppressed can come together in the free and open arms of love. This is what he did on the cross. He took every last horror and sin and he drew it all in. And he said, everybody, every last image bearer can be set free uh, and, and and begin to be those kind of people that your mother obviously was, that the woman who is so important in my life, that we begin to grow once again in beauty and love and power and joy in ways that the world... <laughs> I love the quote from Hebrews 11 where it talks about these kind of people. And after this long rant about the beautiful people that they are, uh, suddenly the writer of Hebrews goes, and you know what? The world isn't even worthy of such people. And and those are the kind of people we can become as we are being saved by the power operating in this world that has conquered sin and death. It is so foolish how it came into being. It came in the absurd gift of love. There isn't a person worth their salt that is pursuing their own life and stature that would ever think that that was wise to give up absolutely everything on the sake of another person. And yet that's the heart of the gospel. Mm-hmm. All right, Peter, we've gone about five minutes without quoting C.S. Lewis, so I better... Yeah, well, say... I'll, I'll Google some more quotes here at the break. Yeah. So we're going to take a little break. We'll be back with more Toga Time. Dr. Peter Kapsner is our guest. We are in First Corinthians, and we are placing you in Corinth in 8055. We'll be right back. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio change the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. Welcome back to the show. It is Toga Time, and if you are uh, just joining us, we are in a series of studying 1 Corinthians with Dr. Peter Kapsner, and we are taking ourselves, transporting us back into Corinth in AD 55. You might be uh, wondering why we're doing this, but we're letting you know what people in 
Corinth in AD 55, how these words would be uh, falling on their ears. I think that's uh, the most important, one of the most important elements of any study, Peter, is to put things in a, the proper context. Yeah, it's really true. I, I, I just, I remember just getting it, it beat into my head in, in, in a good way over and over and over again in seminary where they said, you know, you have to understand the world in which these letters are written. It's not really any different at the end of the day than traveling to a foreign country. I, I don't assume if I'm going to um, travel to, I don't know, Peru or Argentina or Australia or Russia or wherever in this world that they're operating by American ideas. And so um, it's it's not that different than the scripture uh, or, or for the scripture. We need to sort of understand the world in that time. And it's really a fun process. Yeah, it's totally fun. All right. We've got a couple of verses left. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I love just how it ends. Um, I mean, he's going to, again, go back and forth between the power and, and um, foolishness. One quick comment about what it means that Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, and it's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Um, the Jews were always looking for the sign of the Messiah, and, and as we've already talked about quite a bit, with the understandable assumption that the Messiah would uh, be bringing an earthly kingdom and restore the throne of David in a very physical sense. It's part of why um, the whole thing was missed uh, on some ways. And, and frankly, I would, I'm sure I would have missed it in that same time uh, as well. And Greeks uh, loved their philosophy and they loved to say who was the wisest philosopher and nothing about the cross story has any kind of wisdom as we've been talking about. But then it gets to the end. And it says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And one thing we haven't done yet is um, define what God's wisdom means. And, and to have wisdom means that you're seeing the world the way that God sees it. So wisdom is not a product of education. Um, it's not a product of age. Those things can help along the way in their right context. But just because you've been highly educated or just because you are 140 years old doesn't mean you actually have wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to see the world the way that God sees it and to then operate within the world the way that God would operate within the world as well. And we just got done talking about the idea of the foolish or absurd love of God, the unconditional love of God. Again, not conditioned by anything that needed to be resolved in God not conditioned in anything that we did. It was just sheerly the freest of, of free gifts. And so if we're going to operate in this world as followers of Jesus, if we're going to say, I put my faith in you, Jesus, um, then the, this eternal life of God or the salvation that begins to change uh, our life and, and root out the, sick, the sickness and the disease, what kind of people might we be coming? Well, I would suggest we'd be becoming the kind of people that God himself is. This is what it means to become Christ-like. And those kind of people begin to not just try to act in a loving sort of way. They actually begin to operate naturally, but supernaturally, increasingly out of the love of God. And so the way they see the world and the way they say they, they, they see their friendships or their work colleagues or their kids or their spouse or their grandparents, they don't gloss over the sin and disease, that would, that would be a horrendous thing to do. Clearly, God did not gloss over the sin and disease. God was not a loving kind of God who just embraced and accepted everything. Um, it was because of the severity of the disease that God chose to love uh, in the ways that he did. And so uh, we we need to operate out of that same way. But Bill, I can't do that myself. And this is where this wonderful passage from 1 John 4 comes in, where uh, John begins to write about the nature of love and the importance of it when he says these words, and oh boy, they are very convicting words to me uh, from time to time. 
He says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love comes from God. So I can't drum up this love on my own. I need my physician to bring this kind of love increasingly into my life, which a simple prayer, if you wanted to go to bed each night and wake up each morning and say, God, help me love people with your love better than I do um, today. And just like help that become part of how I, how I see in the world. Root out my idolatry, root out my sin, uh, replace it with your love uh, in my heart. So beloved, let us love one another for love comes from God. And anyone who loves in God's way of love um, has been born of God and knows God. But if you do not love in that way, please don't tell me you know anything about God. And that's where it's really convicting because the wise person, especially in in Christendom uh, or Christian institutions, the wise person often has all the fancy letters after their name. They might be able to tell you all of these different theological arguments and theories. They might be really profound in wielding the scriptures, people who you could give a verse to and they'd be able to tell you what's in that verse and what they think it means and all of that. And all of those people are at risk of not actually knowing who God is um, mm. because they don't. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. It's, it's sobering, right, at the oh, end of the day. Ever? I mean, I have yeah. all those fancy letters, and, 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 and I get it. Like you, you don't know God, and then it says, for God is love. And, and this is where we bear witness to the kingdom is within the love of God and how we love one another that comes from God himself. That's the foolishness of the cross operating among the believers of this world. And this is how we shine the light in the world. Um, to just rescue all of the imagers around us. Every single image bearer caught in this disease can and could be rescued by the foolish love of God. Well, that's that verse, the foolishness of God. Of course, anybody that reads that is going to need more information. Uh, so I appreciate you discussing that. Um, that is uh, a difficult concept. Well, it, and I think it's, I think what Paul is trying to say again is that whole way of life looks foolish. Um, to yeah. you, that whole way of life. And and we've defined love um, a few different times on, on your show. I think it's one of those words that probably needs um, definition and redefinition and restating Always. over and over again, yeah. right? So love has a bunch of different words in the Bible, with whether it's Greek or Hebrew. But, but if I was to summarize them, it would probably sound something like, um, this is how you see the world. This is how God operates within the world. It would sound something like this. Uh, a tender-hearted, fierce, never forsaking compassion that is willing to seek the wholeness of another ahead of one's own. So, wow. so it's not just the agape love that maybe some people are familiar with. Agape is sort of the self-sacrificing love, but agape love that is self-sacrificing because you think you have to, <laughs> that like, that doesn't, you know, bring joy to the soul when, when you're somebody's responsibility or they do nice things for you, but they're like, no, oh, you know what? I really don't want to do anything nice uh, to you, but but I'm a believer, so I guess I'm supposed to do something nice for you right now. Um, you have to condition that agape love with these two other versions of love, like ahava um, or like hesed love. There's just a bunch of different versions all in this beautiful stew of the ingredients of love um, right. that what's coming out of an individual is just genuinely pre-thought, pre-conscious how they actually see the world is they see it through the lens of a tender-hearted compassion that will stay in the long game with another person, filled with with um, joy for that person, but even long-suffering, forbearing spirit, all of these words of the Bible, because you want their wholeness. And that's the key, Bill. To, to love someone isn't just to embrace all of what's going on in their life. To love someone is to never stop losing the tender-hearted compassion for them that will keep in a long-suffering sometimes kind of way 
keep pursuing, keep pursuing, keep pursuing because you desire actual wholeness, not the maybe the false wholeness in which they're living or the deceit in which they're living. You keep loving uh, all the way to wholeness. And, and that can take a very long time for a person. But I'll tell you what, when these pathways that perish that we talked about at the start of the show, when they let us down like they always do, whether it's a, a life of business, whether it's a version of sexuality, whether it's a relationship or whatever it all is, when we've given our lives to those things that perish and those walls all come crumbling down, you know who I need to be with? I need to be with somebody who has never left or forsaken me, who still has tenderhearted compassion for me, who has words of life and hope uh, and wholeness that they can speak in, into the now destroyed foundation uh, uh, that I'd built on sand and the storms came and wiped it all out. The, these are the people of light that exist in this world that get anchored in the foolish love of God. Um, the way they see the world around them. I mean, it, if Jesus could take the full blow of all of the evil that we described earlier as he walked that journey from Gethsemane to Golgotha, um, I think I could stand a little bit of long suffering with the imagers around me. He did it for the whole world. Um, for me to get fussed or bent out of shape by people around me um, when I could have an entirely different response, boy, that would be really... Uh, those kind of Christians, you just can't fuss them. <laughs> but here's yeah. what I here's what I know: it's taken. That's a lifetime. It doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you just have to keep coming back to God in humility to say, "Fill me with your kind of life." Yeah, this is my kind of study, Peter. I'm I love it. This, you're four, forcing me to do way too much work, Bill. Like I actually I have to get into the Bible like this. Is, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Four hours though, and we're not even through chapter one. Which yeah, I love. <laughs> we'll get there. So we'll we'll take a break. We have a lot more of each other today because uh, Sunburn series is uh, kind of wrapping up. Uh, in the next hour, we've got uh, Dr. David Clark joining us, and we're going to uh, have a very interesting conversation about uh, the ideas that people have about Christianity and about Jesus. And that's all ahead next. Peter, thanks so much for this time with Toga Time. It's always uh, a great study, and I'm looking forward to more of it. And I'm looking forward to uh, the next hour with Sunbird Series ahead. Yeah, it's been a blast. And uh, and our yeah, guest, David no Clark, has got some great stuff that I know he's bringing to the table today. So looking forward yeah, to it. he always does. He does. He's, good. he's a great mind. Yeah. All right, we'll take a short break and be right back with David Clark. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.